This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Sunday, July the 5th will be a unique day in the long history of Inglis when two major sales come together as traditional physical auctions at the world-class Riverside Complex at Warwick Farm. At 10am sharp, Easter Round 2 will get underway with 94 outstanding lots by world-class stallions like Brazen Bow, Deepfield, Dundeal, Exceed and Excel, Not a Single Doubt, Fastnet Rock, Frankel, I Am Invincible, Lonro, Schnitzel, Piero, and So You Think, with first season sires like American Pharaoh and Capitalist represented. Inglis have decided to bring the famous scone sale to Riverside this year with a catalogue of 156 lots. This auction will begin immediately after Easter Round 2 concludes. All horses will be at Riverside from Thursday, July 2nd for your inspection. Who would have thought the famous Easter sale would have a winter session? Who would have dreamed the popular scone sale would come to town? Inglis have taken extraordinary steps to accommodate vendors and buyers in extraordinary times. It's really happening. Easter Round 2 and the scone sale together under the same roof on Sunday, July 5th. Sam Clipperton was only eight years old when he first sat on a horse and the experience left an indelible impression. He was on a family holiday in Cairns with his parents and brothers Sean and Nelson when somebody suggested a leisurely trail ride through part of the famous Daintree Rainforest. Later he tried his hand at a different kind of riding when he spent some time on a property at Mendurin during school holidays. He was introduced to steer riding before progressing to bucking bulls and he found himself enjoying the challenge and the adrenaline rush. Back home in Sydney, he discovered the art of riding show jumpers and eventers on a property at Duffy's Forest. His passion for riding escalated, his passion for school rapidly diminished. With the support of his parents, Sam contacted Morris Logue at Racing New South Wales, who suggested the teenager should attend preliminary classes with former star jockeys Ron Quinton and Malcolm Johnston. Next step was work experience with trainers John O'Shea and Peter Nestor, and then came that chance phone call from Ron Quinton, who offered him a position in his Randwick stable. Eleven years on... Sam Clipperton looks back on a Sydney Apprentices title, 465 winners, two Group 1s and a successful stint in Hong Kong. The man himself is online to talk to us on the podcast. Thanks for your time, Sam Clipperton. Not a problem, John. Thanks for having me on. Well, when jockeys were asked by Racing New South Wales to pick one of three zones in late March, you were one of 22 or 23 riders to plump for the metro zone. You've been getting plenty of rides, Sam, but there are only three or four genuine chances in most races and everybody's trying to get on them. Exactly, John. It's um, it's testing times for everybody and, you know, very um, unfor- unforeseen times. But uh, like you said, we all the jockeys in New South Wales and, and Victoria and Queensland, for that matter, were um, forced to to pick a, a zone or a district, so to speak. And um, I selected the uh, the metropolitan zone with the autumn carnival quickly approaching. And um, uh, without winning any big races, I had a not a bad um, autumn, particularly on Doncaster Day. I had three seconds and ran second in the Donny behind my great mate Jimmy Innes and um, mm. just got beaten in the country championships final as well. And at another placing that day, so um, mm. that that day alone nearly made up for you know for picking the metropolitan zone for myself. And um, like you said, it's pretty difficult at the moment to get on the plum rides with only um, two meetings a week and um, you know two or two or three chances in each each race. So, mm. but I am getting I am getting a lot of rides. Like I said, they're not the plum rides, but I, but I am getting rides and. At the moment, we've all just got to go out and do the best we can with the the opportunities that are in front of us, and um, hopefully, uh, 
hopefully we in in not much longer um, we'll be able to get to back to normal and get back to travelling again to more meetings. Mm. Imagine the impetus your situation would have gained had Star of the Seas won the Doncaster. You were still in front, two strides from home. Natoya got you right on the wire. Sam, I'm sure I'm not the only one to have complimented you on that ride. It was a ride deserving of victory. Oh, I appreciate that, John. It was uh, it was probably one of my greatest losing rides, put it that way. Mm. <laughs> I was, I was um, everything sort of unfolded for us in the run. It was, you know, it was a race that I went out in with a very open mind. I didn't have much of a plan. I drew very awkward. I think I came out of 13 in a 20, 20 horse field. Um, and just one of those moments where you're in the zone and, you know, you can just completely re- reacting to what's in front of you and mm. everything worked out well by running second. <laughs> mm. Chris, um, yeah. What did Chris Wallet have to say about the ride? Sam? Well, it's he- funny. He, he had a few runners in that race and, um, and, and naturally after, after the race, all the jockeys sort of lining up to give him their reports. And I was, mm. I was one of the first ones back to him. Yeah. And there were um, a lot of his riders sort of lining up behind me. And he said to me, you're last. You go last. I want to speak to you last. So he sent me to the back of the line. Did he? And um, and uh, I had a good chat to him after the race. And, no, he was he was naturally disappointed. The horse got beaten. But, um, you know, he was very appreciative of my effort. And um, mm. I think he was disappointed for himself. But I think he was also disappointed for me, you know. So, mm. um, but, look, it was – it was a bit bittersweet because, um, as I said, um, Jimmy Jimmy Innes, the the rider of Natoya, is a great mate of mine. He was actually the best man at my wedding, mm. and um, it was funny when I when I was going up to 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 win the Doncaster, and I was thinking in my head, I'm going to win a Doncaster here, and mm. hit the line and throwing everything at Star of the Seas, and I look over in disgust, not knowing who beat me. Like <laughs> I, I knew I got beaten, but I look over in absolute rage. Yeah. And then maybe three or four strides later, I just erupt in happiness that Jimmy had won the Doncaster. Like, and I'm yeah. not sure if you've seen the footage, but yes, I have. Actually, yeah, mm. that footage of of all of us jockeys just going nuts that Jimmy won the Doncaster. You know, so um, yeah, it was a it was a little bit bittersweet, but um, I didn't have any bad luck. I was simply beaten by a better horse on the day, mm. and um, and Jimmy rode it. So no, we're exactly. all very happy for him. Well, Sam, the bottom line is you were still in front one stride from home. So you had your chance to win and your good mate was able to nail you in the very last stride. Now, mate, let's talk firstly about your recent stay in Hong Kong. It's quite an honour for a very young Australian jockey to be offered a contract by the Hong Kong Jockey Club to compete against some of the best riders in the world. Now, you were 22 when that offer came in July of 2016. How could you possibly have knocked it back? Oh, exactly, John. i just come off a, um, a a breakthrough autumn carnival, so to speak. I'd had two, two Group 1 winners and, um, mm. you know, I felt like I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof back then. <laughs> I was <laughs> a pretty confident young man and... Um, and uh, it was actually a funny story. It was a Monday, a rainy, cold Monday, and it was, you know, Mondays are kind of like Sundays to us jockeys a little bit. Mm. And, um, you know, I was just having a complete day off and watching TV and not answering the phone. And mm. a foreign number rang on my phone, and I looked at it and said, no, nah, not answering that. Mm. I'll let that one go to the keeper. Yeah. And, um, and uh, a voicemail was left, and... Naturally, I was watching a movie on a rainy day, so I thought, oh, I'll check it later mm. and uh, didn't check it. And the number rang again, maybe four hours later. Mm. And I thought, oh, I probably should answer this. It rang a little while ago. And um, lo and I answered it. And lo and behold, it's it's uh, Steve Routon from the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Good. And uh, yeah. and I was like, geez, I wish I answered that four hours earlier. Mm. And, um, yeah, he, he rang and had a great chat to him for probably 45 minutes. And, um, and, uh, he basically said, um, how would you like to perhaps come to Hong Kong in the, in the new season? And I just, yeah, just grabbed it with both hands. It was an incredible opportunity. Mm. Um, 
riding in in Hong Kong is is at some stage in your career is is on every jockey's um bucket list. every jockey's yeah bucket list you know it's something mm. that if you're able to get that opportunity it's something that you you just you know you got to give a crack at least you know so mm. um I took it with with both hands and myself and my my now wife Morgan went over together and um we were there ended up being there just under three years and mm. um it was a certainly a character building experience um but at the same time i felt like i gave it a red hot go and i and i and i rode competitively there and i had a good time there i mm. rode a good few winners so yeah. it was certainly a good stint you didn't ride a winner at your first two meetings which i i can imagine would have got up your nose but then you yep. landed a winning double and you were on your way. You rode 40 winners in your first season. That is a flying start. I think I, um, I think in my first season I, I was equal fifth mm. on the uh, premiership with the great Douglas White. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, even those little things, it's, it's not a huge achievement, but for me it's a feather in my cap, you know. So, mm. um, like you said, my first two meetings I went winnerless and there's quite a lot of pressure to get up and going early. Over there, you know, the, mm. um, they, they're very uh, harsh critics over there and mm. um, it's important to get up and going er- early. So, mm. like you said, my first two meetings, I didn't didn't ride a winner, but my third meeting, I rode a double. Yep. And uh, one of those winners was for John Moore, yeah. who um, ended up being a really good supporter of mine. And, and that season, I rode a lot of winners for John Moore and... Um, he gave me some good opportunities that season and ended up riding a, a group winner for a group three winner um, for him that season. So that was a that was definitely um, yeah a good a good year for me that year mm. riding forty winners. Sam, it's hard to define the fabric of Hong Kong racing, isn't it? If you're not in the winners' circle fairly frequently, owners, trainers, and punters drop off you pretty quickly. You can't go winless for 30 or 40 rides in Australia. Uh, you know, it doesn't cause t- too many ripples, but in Hong Kong it's fatal. It is. It's um, it's a very fickle place. Um, like you said, if, if you can be riding winners left, right and centre and then have a couple of weeks where, for whatever reason, you just happen to not ride a winner and then next minute that's it, you know, yeah. you're, you're off, um, so, so to speak. So... Um, and it's a, a place where, because you're only riding uh, twice a week, Wednesday nights and Sundays, um, at the same two tracks, Happy Valley and Sha Tin, mm. you can't just duck off to Goulburn or Nour and, and, you know, try and ride a couple of winners to get the confidence up again, you know, like, mm. you, like you do here. Mm. Um, you're riding against Zach Pert and Joe Marrera and Douglas White every, mm. every, twice a week and, you know, it's hard to – if you lose momentum, it's hard to get it back again. So um, it's certainly a place where you have to show a lot of mental strength. My word. And, um, and yeah, there was time. There was some testing times for me over there. But um, all in all, I, I, I had a good experience and, and walk away. I, I feel like I've walked away from the place um, with my head held, head held high. Mm. There was one expatriate Aussie trainer who stuck through thick and thin in Hong Kong, John Size. He not only gave you a lot of rides, he put you on some nice horses. He certainly did. He was. Um, he started supporting me in, in, at a time where he probably had no reason to support me either. I mm. was. Um, I, I, I was at a stage where I wasn't riding a lot of winners, and when, like we said, when you're not riding a lot of winners, the support you lose support. So, John Size, who is the uh, champion trainer of Hong Kong. Um, when he started started supporting Sam Clifford, and when he wasn't riding a lot of winners, it was a lot of winners. It was a a real confidence boost for me, and um, and I had a lot of confidence in riding for him because I knew he had confidence in me. So, mm. um, like you said, he, he put me on some nice horses. I ended up riding a Group Two winner for him. Yeah, that was hot, hot King Prawn. Hot King Prawn, which was. Yeah. Um, which was just huge. It was such a huge buzz and uh, ended up also having four group one seconds for yeah, him in yeah. some of Hong Kong's major races, um, the Hong Kong Mile, Hong Kong Sprint. 
Uh, and he even took me to Japan. We went to Japan um, with a horse called Western Express, and I rode in one of Japan's biggest races, the um, Yusuda Kinnan at Tokyo, and, and what an experience that was, you know, and that's all all because of John size. He had the faith faith in me, you know, so um, that was that was huge for me at the time, and, um, yeah, very, very thankful to John size, that's for sure. You tell me, Sam, that it was a massive experience, the Japan trip. No wonder blokes like Brenton Avdullah and Damien Lane can't get there quick enough. Oh, Japanese racing, again, that's, that's for me, that's another bucket list. I'd love to um, work my, my, my way up the ladder in Australia again and, and, and get an opportunity to perhaps go to Japan one day for a stint because mm. I've had that little taste of it um, in June 2018. Uh, you know, like I said, I want to get one day get back there, and such a mem- memorable experience. I think there was a hundred thousand people on course that day. It was a beautiful day, and mm. um, you're walking out of the tunnel on on horseback up to the course. The enclosures out the the, the mounting yards out is out the back of the grandstand, like Ranwick or mm. Royal Ascot. Yep. But then to enter the track, you go through a tunnel under the course proper and out the other side. Mm. And I just remember walking up the tunnel on Western Express. It was kind of it reminded me like a scene of Gladiator. You're walking up out of this <laughs> tunnel, yeah. and you can hear the crowd slowly, slowly getting louder and louder. And you come up out the tunnel, and it's just this eruption. The Japanese racing fans are just so fanatical about. Yeah, they're there purely for the horse. They're not there, you know, the punting or or the the, the sort of the the social scene. That doesn't matter to them. They're there to watch the horses and jockeys race. You know, so. Mm. Oh, it was just—it's giving me goosebumps talking about it now. I'm getting fired up. You know? it's, yeah, it's just—it was just an amazing experience. So, like I said, I've had that little taste of it, and I'd love to one day uh, work my way up and and hopefully get a, an opportunity to ride in, in Japan again. I'll be very surprised if you don't. Now, <laughs> hopefully, we can make it happen. Sam, during a, a Hong Kong off season, you flew back to Sydney to marry your fiance Morgan who'd been in Hong Kong, as you said, from the outset with you. Morgan was working in marketing and sponsorship for the Australian Turf Club when you first met. Now, you spotted her at the races one day and immediately planned your strategy. (laughs) I did, I did. um, Morgan was, like you said, working for the Australian Turf Club and um, on the corporate side of things, um, she doesn't come from a racing background or a horse background whatsoever but um she was at the australian turf club and it was a, a wintry cold work farm meeting on a wednesday and i spotted her and uh, she had no idea who i was nor that nor that she cared <laughs> and um and i uh yeah i i planned the i planned my attack so to speak john and uh <laughs> she took a lot of wearing down Took a lot of uh, took a lot of work, but I got there in the end and uh, managed to get her to go out on a date with me, and uh, the rest of rest is history. You're saying she couldn't help herself? She couldn't help herself. I mean, my my charms are in the end, John. <laughs> <laughs> She's only human. <laughs> now, mate, last but, October, you got a suspension which ruled you out of the Spring Carnival. And you were disillusioned, you were very flat, you were very stale, you were very lethargic, and you did something about it. You took a break from racing, which lasted three and a half months. What did you do with yourself? Yeah, look, that was a testing time. Um, I was sort of just, I felt like I was burning the candle at both ends and um, I wasn't happy with how I was running my business. Plain and simple, I was, you know, in a real sort of hole that I felt like I couldn't get out of. And, um, you know, Morgan, it was actually Morgan's idea. She um, she said, look, I think, you know, why don't you just get away and, and recharge and kind of work out why you love love to do what you do, you know, love riding and love racing. So, um, you know, like you said, I got that suspension. Um on Irish songs, it, it was originally a month, but I fought and appealed it, and it was reduced. Reduced to ended up getting reduced down to two weeks. But mm. um, I announced that I was just taking a break from riding, which 
yeah, like you said, lasted close to four months. And um, it was, to be honest, John, it was great to just do nothing, so to speak. Like mm. I'd left school when I was 15. I'd worked in the stable, worked in the stable since I was 15, worked my backside off to, to get where I wanted to get. And next minute I was 25. I'd ridden all over the world and mm. I was tired. And I just needed to live a normal life for a little bit. Um, you know, I went on a couple of surf trips. I went to the Philippines with some mates and um, to, you know, some real isolated islands of the Philippines and surfing all day. We'd have a few beers every night and then next we'd do it all again the same day. And Actually, yeah, I went down surfing with Damien Oliver as well with a friend of mine, another friend of mine. And, um, mm. you know, it was just good to be a, a normal 25-year-old kid at the end of the day um, and, and I felt like I really needed that and it's really um, given, it's really ignited the fire in my belly again. So, um, yeah, I feel like that was a, a great decision to do that and it's really paid off. We'll just pause for a moment on the podcast to clear a commitment. Back with you, Sam, in just a moment. You only need to talk to country-based owners and trainers to realise that the Tab Highway concept has been a runaway winner for racing New South Wales. The scheme met with some opposition when introduced in 2015, but it wasn't long before the Tab Highways captured the imagination of regional horsemen. Early days, trainers like Matt Dunn, Matt Dale, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the weekly highways, but now there seems to be a different winning trainer every week. For bush owners, the prize money has been a revelation, while punters love the highways as a betting medium. From a media viewpoint, the highways seem to throw up a good story most weeks. The Tab Highways are a key component of the new face of New South Wales racing. Special guest is Sam Clipperton. Your early experience with trail riders and steers, bucking bulls and show jumpers and eventers shaped your destiny and diminished your interest in school, which was pretty flimsy to start with. Now, how did your mum and dad react to the announcement that you wanted to leave school very early in year 10? To be honest, John, they were absolutely wrapped because I um, I was always uh, someone who, when I wanted to do something, when I had my mind on something that I wanted to do, I was going to do do it. You know, there was no other option. I was just not going to fail. So um, as you mentioned, I, I hated school, which a lot of young fellas do. Mm. But, um, you know, I didn't – I wasn't leaving school and, and, and had nothing to do. I, I – I had responsibilities growing up with my own horses, um, which I, which was every day, as you could imagine. So after school, I would be um, riding my own horses and working my own horses, um, and which took a lot of looking after and responsibility. And um, when the opportunity came up for me to leave school, which was one week into year 10, um, which was to go to this um, TAFE course through Race in New South Wales. Mm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I jumped at it and, uh, after spending a day at Randwick with, um, with a, a vet that used to look after a lady's horses that I used to ride, mm-hmm. um, he introduced me to Morris Logue and Morris Logue was informed me of the course that was being held at Warwick Farm. Mm-hmm. I went home that night and said to mum and dad, I'm going to become a jockey and, I think I'm I'm not going back to school, and they they pretty much gave me a hug and said, "Well done, darling." So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I off the next day uh, from the Northern Beaches, they drove me all the way to Warwick Farm, and um, mm. and and that's how I met Ron Quinton, yeah. who's who became a huge part of my life. So, mm. yeah, it's quite a funny story. Well, part of the course was work experience, as I mentioned in the intro with John O'Shea and Peter Nestor at Dubbo, and Peter actually agreed to indenture you a bit further down the track, but that all changed when you got a surprise phone call from Ron Quinton himself. Yep, yeah, very, very true. I, uh, As you said, I did two weeks with John O'Shea at Randwick, which was awesome, and uh, and they sent me up to Dubbo um, to Peter Nestor and had a great time out at Dubbo with Peter. Um, 
and I think that was the original plan for me to be indentured to to Peter out at Dubbo. Um, you know, it's always encouraged for apprentices to start out um, the country with with so you can outright outride your claim and in, and whatnot. But um, Peter didn't quite have enough horses. He had another apprentice as well, so he didn't quite have enough horses to take me on just yet. He um, he said, "Go home." And I'll give you a call in a month and um, we'll get you back out here. So I was like, no worries. So naturally, I, I'd already left school. So I was sitting at home a couple of weeks in, riding my own horses and loving life, to be honest. I wasn't going to school. I thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> and um, and uh, the phone rang one day and I answered it and it was Ron Quinton on the phone. Mm. And he said, Sam, what are you doing with yourself? And I said, nothing, Ron, nothing at all. And he said, well, I'm down a track wet rider at the moment. Um, why don't you come in to my stables um, starting tomorrow for a couple of weeks until Peter can get you out there? And I said, that would be great. Thank you very much. So mum mm. drove me to Coogee that afternoon. I moved, went and stayed stayed with Ron and, and, and Margaret Quinton, who, which was, mm. mind you, was supposed to only be for a couple of weeks. And uh, five years later, I was I was still there. I never left, so um, I just stayed with Ron. I never. I think he might have rang Peter and said, uh, "You're not having this kid. Sorry, Pete. I'm keeping this one." <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I just I stayed with Ron and um, ended up living with Ron and his um, beautiful late wife Margaret for just under four years, and I worked with Ron for five years, and and to this day still still work very closely with him so it's um yeah he's been a huge part of my life that's for sure margaret exercised her wisdom in making sure that young sam didn't get too spoiled she often came <laughs> she up did. with an errand or two for you <laughs> she did she was a um she was very crafty with planning her errands i must say she uh, me and rod would, me and ron would finish come home from the afternoon shift and um I'd uh, plonk myself on the lounge, put the TV on, put my feet up, get a glass of milk and a heap of biscuits, which I used to love eating those bi biscuits <laughs> out of Ron and Margaret's pantry. Yeah. And uh, I'd be 20 minutes into my show and then Margaret would start asking me to do all these jobs perfectly timed just as the show was starting to get good. So yeah. I'd be running around Coogee doing errands, shopping, going to the post office, and I'd get back from doing one. She'd have another one ready for me and then I wouldn't pull up doing errands till it was dark. So. Uh, no, I have, you know, just beautiful, fond memories of living with Ron and Margaret and, um, you know, they, they were a huge part of, you know, they were really important development years. I was 15 through to 18 years old and, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of Margaret Quinton in me today, that's for sure. Mm. Sam, the racing industry was absolutely Stunned, shocked and distressed to hear of Margaret's premature passing uh, maybe three years ago now. I'm not quite sure. Uh, yeah, it was um, January 2017. Goodness me. Yeah. Yeah. But as you say, a great lady, a lady of wisdom and perception and uh, you've already mentioned that she left an indelible mark on a young bloke called Clipperton. Yeah, no, she certainly did. And I think she was um, – I always joke. I, well, I did a speech one day when I won my uh, apprentice title and, um, you know, a lot of people were asking about what type of master Ron Quinton was and, and I, I got a, quite a reaction from the crowd and, the, from, the, from the crowd and I said, uh, well, Ron, Ron Quinton's my boss but Margaret's Ron's boss. <laughs> and uh, she <laughs> – she um she kept both myself and Ron in line at home. So no, she's um there's there's I can honestly say there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about Margaret in, in some stage, whether it's seeing yeah. might be something as little as driving past a sign that, you know, yeah. Or driving could you down Coogee Bay Road or something like that, you know. Yeah, so yeah. no, she's sorely missed, that's for sure. Lovely to hear you say that. Sixteenth of July two thousand and ten was the date of Apprentice S. Clipperton's first ride in a race on a horse called Nine Dragons, trained by Graham Begg. Now, you finished 11th of 15, but it didn't matter a hoot 
you had an absolute ball on that day at Wyong. <clears throat> I certainly did, John. Yeah, no, I um, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it was a thirteen fifty uh, meter race at Wyong, and I think it was a huge field. I think it was seventeen runners. And uh, to be honest, I think Ron was pretty worried because um, I was in a bit of a rush to have a have a race ride. I was, I think it got to a point where Ron couldn't hold me back to do any more trials any longer. So um, I had my first race ride, like you said, on Nine Dragons, which was trained by Graham Begg and owned by Neville Begg. And um, yeah, he was a huge horse, Nine Dragons. He was, yeah, he would have been over 17 hands and um my first race ride i was 37 kilos so i was a pimple on a pumpkin so to speak john <laughs> and uh <laughs> and um yeah no i had no idea what i was doing naturally nine dragons looked after me an absolute treat and uh, he led me around and got me around safe so mm. it was uh it was on it was on from there 26 rides later you landed your first winner that was a horse trained by Tim Clark, who prepared his horses at Muskoka Farm. It was Wyong again. You came from last of seven on a horse called White Horse Inn. White Horse Inn. I remember that day uh, again like it was yesterday. It was also at Wyong, and, um, yeah, I was back last on the big grey. He was a big grey horse and uh, and circled the field with six 600 to go, and he was too good and, Geez, I tell you, I thought I was George Moore, um, John. I just just thought I was thought I was the greatest thing ever after that. And <laughs> um, don't worry, Ron kept me nice and grounded. But no, that was um, I think every jockey's first winner. You never forget it. How how can you forget it? And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just yeah, that'll be something that'll be with me for the rest of my life. Your seventh winner was your first city winner. And that was a mare called Liechtenstein, trained by your boss. It was Anzac Day 2011 on a heavy 10 at Randwick, and she absolutely bolted in. Yeah, that was um, that was actually my my first yeah my first ride in town as well. Was it? Mm. Um, so it was my first metropolitan ride. So it was yeah Anzac Day at Randwick, which was pretty special, and I was there with all the. All the big guns, or Hugh Bowman's, the Kerry McAvoy's, and you know, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty nervous. And um, but Lichtenstein, he was actually a big old gelding. Oh, was he? And, Sorry. And um, yeah. he was a lovely big horse. Mm. And uh, it was actually funny. He's, as a yearling, um, I was leading him. This was before I um, was even race riding, and I was leading him down the bottom at Randwick there. And he, one afternoon, and he reared up and struck me in the head. Mm. And then I ended up. Um, Riding my first metropolitan winner on him, so you I forgave him. Even on him, yeah, I <laughs> forgave him then exactly. But no, I think that was, you know, that was an incredible day because um, my first rate, first ride in town, it was uh, my first winner in town, and it was for Ron. And I think, oh yeah, I mean to go to if I was, if you told me then what I would go on to achieve um, with Ron. Um, you know, what we'd achieved together and uh, it's just a, it was the start of a journey that day. So, yeah, no, that was very special. There are no prizes for guessing that Peeping, a beautiful filly, is your all-time favourite. Not only could she gallop, but she was a real little lady, you tell me, and you were never off her back. No, she was a, um, she was a, little, she was a little gem. Peepo, we used to call her Peepo around the stables, and um, yeah, I I can remember her. I can remember the day she arrived at the stable. She was she was tiny, she was woolly, and she was always so kind. Even as a as a as a yearling, she was just you know. I think I was the first to ever ride her around the track. Well, I probably took it took her to the bull ring, mm. um, and she was just a little pro from day one. Mm. And um, and yeah, I ended up riding her. 14 times um i was the only jockey to ever ride her in a race mm. and um i'm not sure how many ended up winning on her maybe five or six 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 um, altogether yeah six yeah so and uh and and got my first first group one win aboard which aboard peeping which was ideal yeah it was just amazing it's funny how you you don't really appreciate moments mm. um at the time but looking back you know that was one of the 
one of the best days of my career, but also of my life. Just to it was such a fairy tale to to do that for Ron and um, on a horse like Peeping, who who I'd ridden through it throughout her whole career, mm. it was just incredible. What an autumn carnival you had in 2016. A couple of weeks after peeping, up you bob in the all-age stakes, Group 1, on a very good mare called English. Yeah, that was um, that was a good day as well. It was funny. It was a bit different to peeping. Like like peeping, I'd, you know, I was for Ron. I had utmost, utmost confidence in myself um, to get the job done. Um, peeping she was pretty much like my horse sort of speak so and when English come along it was a different feel I, I, I got the opportunity to ride her through um, Gay Waterhouse and, and New Haven Park the Kelly family and um, and you know there was a little bit of pressure to get the job done so to speak she had ran super in the TJ the start before mm. and um, and going into the all age she was one of the fancy runners so um, I didn't feel pressure from from anyone specifically, probably but but myself. You know, I just mm-hmm. felt like I this was an important job at hand, and I had to perform. And mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I was able to get the job done um, on English in the all age, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was a very special day. With Hong Kong keeping you away from Sydney for so long, you didn't get to ride that mare again for two years, English. And you ran second on her in another Group One, the Galaxy, beaten by In Her Time. Yeah, I came back um, to ride her. I think that was maybe March or Slipper Day, twenty eighteen. Mm. So yeah, nearly two years after I'd um, won on her. Um, so I rode her in the Galaxy, where she um, a little bit unlucky actually. She was back on a wet track, and um, she flew home, and I think she was only beaten half a length. Um, so she ran a cracker that day, mm. running, running second, and then I came back to ride her again in the TJ. Yeah, and um, she was just a little bit disappointing that day. Mm. Um, she her sprint, you know, she sprinted well, but she didn't really sustain that sprint. But um, she ended up winning the um, Duman Ten Thousand later that campaign. So mm. there was certainly no doubting her ability. She was a, a super mare on a day. Um, yeah, she had an incredible turn of foot. Tim Clark was the lucky jockey to be on. Yeah, board. no, that's right. Timmy, Timmy won the um, yeah ten thousand on it. So it was great to see her win that because it just um, confirmed how good she was. Now, Sam, I'm just looking at our clock, and we are starting to eat into our time. And I've got quite a number of horses I wanted to ask you about, so I'll put the pace on here. <laughs> Not a problem. Tell me your memories of Monton, trained by Ron Quinton. He was your first stakes winner. He was. I won the festival stakes on him in 2011, and um, and uh, he was a, a huge horse. He was a pretty good horse on his day. Um, mm. I won the the the, fe- the festival on him, and then the start after um, Ron put uh, Huey on him, Hugh mm. Bowman, and uh, he won the Villiers on him. So mm. um, a very very handy horse on his day, a very tough old horse, and I think I ended up winning. Um, four or five other races on him um, a couple of years later, actually. So, no, he was a very good horse to me in, during my apprenticeship. You won three races on another Ron Quinton veteran by the name of Boss Lane. Boss Lane, yeah, he was a stable favourite and only recently retired. He had a, a long career. Um, I think he won, I think I might have won the Brian Crowley on him early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think a few other apprentices. Of Ron's one of him, like I think Travis Wolfgram, um, yeah. Taylor Marshall, and Andrew Atkins all won on him. So mm. he was a real, um, you know, soldier of the stable. He, he flew the flag of the Quinton stable for a lot of years. You got on very well with a filly called Fundamentalist. You ran two Group One seconds on her, the Surround Stakes and the Randwick Guineas. So near, but yet so far. Oh, that was a little bit heartbreaking to me, John. That. Uh, I just got beaten the nose on her in the surround, um, and uh, which was frustrating. And then um, they announced that they were going to back her up a week later in the Randwick Guineas, and Nikita Jane um, was in the race as long as the Autumn Sun, as well as the Autumn Sun. Mm. So with Nikita Jane beating me over 1,400 in the surround, I was sort of thinking, 
oh, she probably can't beat Nikita Jane over a mile and she probably definitely can't beat the Autumn Sun, who was a, a champion, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ranwick Guineas comes, had a lovely run. Next minute, I'm about four clear with 100 to go. And I'm thinking, it's amazing what goes through your mind in the heat of the moment. Um, I was thinking with about 100 to go, how good is this, Sam? You got beaten on it last week, mm. but you're going to redeem yourself here <laughs> with the Randwick Guineas. This is just great. This is unbelievable. <laughs> this is all while I'm, you know, while throwing the kitchen sink at fundamentalists. Yeah. And then next minute I see this ugly white bridle in the corner of my eye. I can hear the race caller start to raise like something's um, chasing me hard. Yeah. And then bang, the Karen McAvoy on the Autumn Sun gets yeah. me on the line. He looked a hundred to one up the rise. Yeah, day, I the think he was sun. maybe six or seven lengths off me with a hundred to go. Had oh, no it chance. A, it was an amazing win. Yeah, and it just took a genuine champion to beat me. And um, mm. no, she was a great mare. Unfortunately, she never won a Group One. Um, I don't yeah. think. No, um, but uh, she, she went was, very close. I so. think she was placed in five Group Ones fundamentalist. Yeah, there you go. So. Mm. Unfortunately for her connection, she never won one, but she was um, a very good filly nonetheless. Intimate moments from the Wallace stable was significant in your career. You won three races on intimate moments, including a Group 3, and I think that was your very first group win. That was. That was my first group winner um, as an apprentice, and um, uh, Ron trained her at the time. Um, he had her as a yearling um, through for most of her career, and then then um, Chris Waller got her later in her career. But, um, yeah, Ron had a uh, absolutely flying, I think it was early 2014, going into the autumn. Um, I think I won a couple of races on her, and then Ron threw her in the deep end in the opponent stakes, and, and she won dominantly, and that ended up being my first first uh, group winner as an apprentice. So, mm. yeah, she'll, uh, she'll be one that will be in my memory bank for a long time. You led all the way to win a Chelmsford Stakes for Godolphin on Complacent. Yeah, he was a good he was a good horse on his day. I think as a three year old, he won the Spring Champion or the or a race like that. Yeah, Spring Champion. Um, he did, spring yeah. Champion. So he was a, a Group One horse, um, a very big. He was a, like a jet black color, big stallion. He had a beautiful long um, forelock on him. He was like a kind of a horse out of a movie mm. and very good-looking horse. And, um, yeah, I rode him in a Chelmsford and I th- think um, he was, you know, a bit of an outsider in the race. But um, I jumped super well and I was instructed to be handy. Um, mm. But next minute I find myself in front unchallenged. So, mm. I just raided the horse to suit myself and he was never going to get beaten. He, yeah. he quickened. So well, I remember um, at the top of the rise there at Randwick, it was just nothing was going to run him down that day. And he, um, you know, on his day, he was a he was a serious horse. He had a couple of little soundness issues, I think, but um, on his day, he was a he was a, a real weapon for sure. You won a Group Two Ajax Stakes on it, somewhat for Godolphin. Yeah, that was uh, actually the race after uh, the Coolmore Classic on Peeping. So that was a oh, certainly a good. Certainly a good hour for me, um, mm. you know, peeping peeping one and I was just on an absolute high and then got legged up on uh, it somewhat in the Ajax for Godolphin and, yeah, he was um, he was a very good um, – he could sustain a very high speed, that horse. He had incredible stamina. Um, mm. Yeah, I won the Ajax on him and I think it would have been two years later that he ended up winning a Doncaster. He did um, with Zach, Zach Purton. Zach Purton, yeah. So. Mm. Um, he was a, a real horse that could sustain a high speed for a long way. So, yeah, mm. very, very good horse. Pearls was a nice Godolphin filly. You won a T-Rose stakes on her. She was a lovely filly, yeah. I rode her early days. I think I won a first start on her at Gosford. Yep. And then um, only two or three starts later, I won a group two on her, um, the T-Rose at Randwick, where she beat a good bunch of fillies. Mm. Um, so she didn't probably... Um, get to quite the heights that was expected. But um, early days, she showed a lot of promise and was able to win a good couple of races. You won a couple of early races on Daisy Doom, but then she became a regular ride for Andrew Atkins when you went to Hong Kong. 
Yeah, no, she was uh she was Andy's known as Andy's horse. Mm. And um but yeah, I think Andy won her first start on her at Hawkesbury and then uh I kicked him off for the for the ride and uh and won I think two in a row in her, I think, Canterbury and Rose Hill and then um yeah, like you said, I went away and I think Andrew ended up winning a lot of races on her. I don't know how many, but eventually mm. he's a first group one winner as well in the Coolmore Classic. So, mm. yeah, she was a very good mare, very tough. She loved the fight. Um, you know, she could she would sit up on pace and she'd kind of always look like she was beaten, but then she'd pin her ears and grit her teeth and always kick back. Yeah. So she was a, a very, very tough mare. Great competitor. A couple more. She was, yeah. Sam Conti Patero who won two Group 1s over the recent Autumn Carnival for Tim Clark, is yep. an imported mare, and you rode her at her very first Australian start for a nice win in a good race called the Dark Jewel Quality at Scone. It's a Group 3. Yeah, she's a, a very good mare, and um, she she just proved over the, the last autumn that what she did at Scone for me was no fluke. Um you know, that was a first-ever race start, first up 1,400 – sorry, not first-ever race start, but first-ever race start in Australia mm. after racing all over the world in America and, and England and I think she even raced at Royal Ascot. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she won the Dark Jewel first up and, um, yeah, it was an incredible win. She had a lovely run, but then it looked like she was half gone, like had no chance with 200 to go, and then she just found this – she just found this turn of foot and burst through a gap and won as she liked. And like I said, she um, she recently proved um, that that was no fluke, winning two group ones in the autumn just gone. So mm. she's a very good mare and she could still have um, more to come from her. Uh, she, it wouldn't surprise me if she won a, another couple of nice races ahead of her. One more, Sam. You had one ride for one win on a Godolphin horse called Exosphere, who finished up winning five from ten before going to stud. Now, you won a race called the Run to the Rose on this son of Lonro, and he impressed you greatly. In fact, when we were talking about him the other day on the phone, you absolutely floored me when you said he could have been the best horse you've ever ridden. Yeah, I think so. He was... um only had the one sit on him race day and he won the the run to the rose but i used to ride him a, a bit of track work um and would ride him in quite a, lot, a few trials as well and um yeah i still he, he had he was so big john I, I don't know how what his measurement was but he would have been mm. over 17 hands easy really? and he was as long as he was tall mm. and he wasn't lanky either he was super um you know, stocky, and he was just an absolute machine. And the speed, looking at him, you think, oh, this horse should be pulling a plough. Mm. But he was, I've never felt an acceleration from a horse like it. Um, you know, that day when I won on him, he, he, he just, it was like he just grew wings. It was like taking yeah. off on a jet. And, um, yeah, no, he, he, he only had a short career, um, but... I, I can honestly say you would probably be the best horse I've, I've ever ridden so mm. far in my career. You told me that you've always been interested in the history of the Australian turf. I know when you won the all-age stakes on English, you made a point of tracing the history of that wonderful old race right back to 1865. But your interest in history doesn't end there. You're fascinated with Australian history which is a topic rarely discussed in the Sydney jockeys room. <laughs> it is, it is. It's, it's funny. Sometimes my mate, my mates, make a bit of fun of me with um, <laughs> the weird things that I come out and will be walking past a an old stone or something, and I'll come up with some fun <laughs> fact about it, and they just go, "What did? What just came out of your mouth then? What are you talking about?" <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, no. It's sometimes I keep my fun facts to myself, John. Um, but no, it is, I, I, it's, I don't know, it's something that I've always been interested in, even when I was super young, you know, like just, I think if you're, if you're interested in history, you, it's something that'll, that's just in you, you know? So, 
um yeah i love going back and looking through old races like like you said the um the uh all aged the first run in 1866 or something and mm. it's funny when D- when jimmy won won the doncaster after he won the doncaster i started rattling off all these famous names that had won it when it was first run and won <laughs> and he was like sam what i, I don't care mate and i was like no. okay sorry i just thought i'd tell you <laughs> he was only interested in 2020 yeah, exactly exactly so but um no and uh yeah no it's just even the old stalls at Ringwick, the old old stalls at the mile um, there, which are which are still there and sort of half falling down. But if you go back through the old clips of Doncasters from the 30s and 40s, mm. they're still there. So yep. no, it's just something that I I find um, fascinating and and always enjoy reading up on. Sam, it will do you no harm, whatever. And if you're this interested in history at age 26. I can tell you by age 50, you'll be an absolute fanatic. It only gets worse. I don't know if Morgan will be, um, I don't know if Morgan will be very happy about that, John, because I know her with a few fun facts as well. So <laughs> I might give her, a, I might give her a, um, I might annoy her as years go on, I think. Sam, it's all ahead of you. You're only 26. Your weight is under control. You've got a great gift with horses. And any time you need the smallest tweak to your technique, You've got a bloke called Ron Quinton to consult. I do, I do. No, he's um, like I said, he's. I can't speak highly of Ron. And we have a we. I think a lot of like myself and Andrew and 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 Hugh Bowman, we don't really have a relationship like a you know a master and apprentice. He's more of a a family member, I guess. Yeah, second and, dad. Um, yeah, he's like a second dad or a grandfather and. You know, whether no matter what the problem is, whether it's a, a riding problem, something that you're frustrated with, or just life in general, yeah, he's always there for us to to, to chat to. You know, and um, I'm sure sometimes he gets frustrated at us sometimes, just like we get frustrated with him. You know, it's just like mm. family. So, um, no, we're all very lucky to to have him in our corner and and have him to go to. Sam, it's been a delight having you on the podcast. Thanks for your time. Continued success. It's all ahead of you, mate, and I know there there are some magic moments to come. No, thanks so much for that, John, and um, no, I appreciate you having me on and talking to me, and uh, no, it's been a great privilege. Thanks very much. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.